Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. If you were here last week, you know that uh, we began a new sermon series, and we talked a little chemistry We went back to our high school science classes and reminded ourselves that in a chemical reaction, there are two or more reactants that come together, and in a reaction, through a reaction, become something different, result in some sort of products. And we remembered that catalysts are these compounds that affect a reaction, impact it, and help what would have happened naturally go along faster or in a better way. We saw that in the New Testament, we are given 100 one-another commands that I truly believe can catalyze the kind of healthy and whole relationships that God calls us to as brothers and sisters, calls us to within the church called by the name of Christ. We know that human bodies are made up of chemical compounds, but people aren't chemical compounds. People aren't as predictable as chemical compounds. People have good and bad days. Compounds don't. And so as we come together, we can't always predict the outcome of our reactions to and with one another. It takes some intentionality to live, to live and lean into the kind of whole and holy and healthy relationships that God calls us to. And so these one another commands are so vital for us to look into and live into together. Living out these commands can be the catalyst in our relationships toward relationships that honor God and one another. Because one anothering, as the Bible instructs us, can really be be a potent antidote to the kind of othering that is so prevalent in our culture, our society. That marginalization, distancing, arms lengthening of people who for some reason, don't seem to be or think like us. We also saw last week that our two-word English phrase, one another, in our Bibles, always represents the one single Greek word, alelon, a word that implies mutuality, give and take, interactivity. And last week, we noticed that about a third of the alelon commands in the New Testament Focus on the necessity of brothers and sisters in Christ living together in unity. Unity, we saw, is a gift from God. God who has united us to himself through Jesus Christ and united us as one another to each other by breaking down walls of hostility and division. Unity is the gift we have that helps us live into the DNA that's in us as the body of Christ. And it is something we continue to work at as people called to be members of that body. This morning, we're going to look at another recurring theme of these, this list of 101 another commands in the New Testament, and that is that we are called to be humble among one another. About one out of every five one another instructions stresses an attitude, a posture of, of humility and deference among and between brothers and sisters in Christ. And this call to humility is a good reminder that not all unity is created equal. 
Because we might actually be fine with the idea of, of embracing one another as equals, saying, yes, we're all part of the body. We all belong to each other. We all need one another. But even that can take work. can take work to, to recognize and embrace the other, to see their differences as valuable, as important, as necessary. But to go a step further and to live into this one another attitude with humility and deference can, can be a tough job, a tough ask. Because we might be willing to accept someone as having a place among us, but then to be willing to say, actually, I'm going to put them in a higher place than myself. That's another step. That can be a challenging task to live into humility and deference. I honestly think for many of us, this is going to take a literal act of God in our lives to shape us, to help us unlearn some assumptions and presumptions we've made about who we are and who others are. But I don't think we can escape this call from God's Word if we spend much time in the Bible. The letters we find in the New Testament, these instructions written from apostles to churches and Christians learning what it means to be the body of Christ— what it means to live out the model of Christ our Savior, have these kinds of instructions scattered all throughout them. Paul writes in Romans, give preference to one another in honor. To the Galatians, be a servant to one another. Again, to the church in Rome, don't be haughty or look down on one another. He writes to the Ephesians, be subject to one another. And the Apostle Peter writes, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. And these are just a few of the many one another commands and instructions in the New Testament. They make it crystal clear that as brothers and sisters called by the name of Christ, we are meant to defer to one another. To have a you-first attitude of heart that shows up in how we act with each other. And these teachings don't come out of nowhere. These instructions written in letters to Christians of that time and to us as followers of Jesus Christ are patterned after the model of the teachings and life of Christ himself. We see in the Gospels that Jesus traveled with a group of disciples, a group of friends, who had a decidedly uh, mixed report uh, or grade on how they did in terms of living out unity, and who really seem to struggle with this idea of humility, of putting each other uh, before themselves. It might be hard to actually find an example of them doing that well. More commonly, we see that they are arguing about who's best, who's the favorite, who should have the place of honor among them, who's done the most to be most deserving of praise and place. And every time this crops up, we see Jesus nipping it in the bud. He knows how cancerous this inclination will be in their life together and in their, their witness to a watching world. You heard read this time in Matthew when the disciples were once again arguing, who's the best? Who has the place of honor? And Jesus told them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. 
Their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus preached downward mobility. He set up a race to be last. We know that me first was an attitude, an idea that was already quite old by the time of Jesus. It was already entirely countercultural to be preaching and teaching the way that he did. And he told his friends that he, as the Son of Man, was, was going to lead the way in this kind of posture. He was going to show them how it was done to live this kind of humble, others-focused life. Jesus talked the talk, and he walked the walk. On the very night, he was about to be betrayed by a close friend into the hands of the very people who were seeking his life, seeking to kill him. He met with his friends around a table in an upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, and he demonstrated what it looked like in flesh and blood to live as a servant. We read in chapter 13 of John's gospel that it was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In the time of Jesus and his disciples, foot washing was not something that rabbis would do. Foot washing was a grimy and grubby task that was relegated to the lowliest, most humble servants. Rabbis, these highly respected Jewish teachers were used to being honored, to being seated at places of honor and have their disciples gathered around them, hanging on every word. Jesus, that night, got up from the table, vacated his seat of honor as his disciples gathered around them, gathered around him, and took on the deeply humble role of servant. The servant who was the foot washer the servant most guests would avoid eye contact with as they had the sweat and grime wiped from their feet. 
this modeling of humility, this intentional setting aside of privilege, privilege by Jesus is exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Christian church in Philippi. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, a call to unity there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Paul writes, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And Paul writes to Jesus Christ himself as our example, as our role model in this. Jesus had supreme privilege as God himself, and yet he didn't consider this reality, this identity, something to be used for his advantage. Instead, Jesus sought out ways that he might empty himself for the advantage and benefit of others. And Paul says that's the kind of mindset we are called to emulate as those who say we serve Jesus as Lord. We should be on the lookout for opportunities to empty ourselves so that others might benefit and be blessed. In humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. As you, ha- as you hear that, does that sound, sound a little jarring this morning? Sound a little countercultural, or maybe really countercultural? I think about messages that we get blatantly or sometimes more subtly every day that would speak against this call to humility against this call to selflessness and others' focus. This is pretty radical. This isn't just saying, as you look to your own interests, make sure you don't forget about others. Paul's saying, actually, you just need to each look out for each other and it'll all work out and it will all honor God. Our culture talks about looking out for number one tells us to stick up for our rights, hold on to our privileges, cling to our power, the opportunities we have. These are messages that are deeply ingrained in our society and what we hear. But Paul says that our one anothering actually has to be done Jesus-style, and that's going to see us with a you-first attitude and mindset, not a me-first. This attitude will see us being willing to surrender what we have for the benefit and blessing of others. Now, when it comes to our views of ourselves in comparison to others, 
we tend to have one of two different preconceptions. There are those of us who tend to default to an idea that, that others are better than us, that others are better than us. Now, on the surface, it might seem like this kind of preconception would give us a leg up in the area of humility, and in many ways, it does. The challenges here might be a little less or perhaps different. People with this mindset and preconception find that humility perhaps comes a bit more naturally. These people tend to get smaller around other people. They tend to think that other people perhaps deserve more than they do. Humility in this case, however, doesn't necessarily come from an attitude of of love or of sacrifice. Sometimes people with this preconception actually have an inappropriately low view of themselves. These people actually don't uh, love their neighbor well as themselves because they don't love themselves well. If we have this preconception, we may not have a deep love for the people that we were created in Christ to be. So this isn't the preconception, this isn't the attitude that Christ had. This is not necessarily his mindset because he did not have a low view of himself, but an incredibly, appropriately high view of himself. It's just that Jesus wasn't interested in using his greatness for his own advantage. Now, some people, on the other hand, have a different preconception, and that is that, that we are better than others, that I'm better than, than someone else. Maybe we have an idea that we are better than people in general or better than a certain group or a certain kind of person. And for this person, humility might actually take a lot of work. For the person wearing a, it's a hard to be humble when, I'm, when you're as great as I am t-shirt, this might go against the grain a bit. Now, for those of us who don't have that particular t-shirt in our drawers, we still need to pay attention to this. This preconception, this mindset can creep in so insidiously, so subconsciously that we need to be on high alert for this kind of uh, sensibility. We might think subtly that we are better because of our skills, our intelligence, our abilities, our birthplace, our ethnicity, our education, our race, our paycheck, or maybe even the sacrifices we've made. Maybe we feel better because we have given up a paycheck, or we feel we deserve more because we are so good at being humble and putting others first. Now, there are those of us who might be, not be tempted to think along those lines of better than because of a certain thing, but we still, perhaps, think of ourselves as somehow better than those people out there who, who do bad things. This mindset creeps in, I think, for each of us. And so those of us with even a modest tendency toward this preconception can find it a lot of work can find it challenging to live into the kind of humble one anothering that Paul calls us to, that Christ calls us to, that Jesus lived out and modeled. It might rub us the wrong way to think of, of yielding our, our privilege and position, 
our opportunities to someone else that maybe for whatever reason we don't think deserves it as much or has worked for it or earned it. Our sense of fairness might go on high alert. Yet that we recognize that if Jesus is being held up as our role model in one anothering in humility, we see that he was lavish in his grace. And we see that it's challenging, maybe even impossible, to find in Scripture verses that would hold up what society tells us are things that are important, like making sure we cling to what we have and letting other people do their own hard work. We do see the value of work in Scripture, but this idea of clinging to what we have and not being generous is not something we can find. Jesus is the ultimate example of putting oneself in someone else's shoes. He set aside the glory and majesty that we're told he rightfully enjoyed as God himself in heaven and came to earth in full humanity. He put on humanity not as a costume, but embodied it in flesh and blood. And that as someone somehow fully human yet fully divine, he descended to the position of the lowliest of servants as he walked among us, yielding everything to the will of God, to the use of God, to the glory of God in his own life. As we think about our call to unity in Christ, it might be easiest for us to think of one another as equals, and that's part of our call. In some ways, we are definitely all equal at the foot of the cross. We all are sinners saved alone by God's grace. One anothering in the body of Christ does include a full embrace of every brother and sister. And then we're called to take things a step further, to actually put others' needs ahead of our own, to somehow consistently and more consistently consider others above ourselves. And that might sound like a tall order. It certainly sounds counterintuitive. You may get an image that if we live this out, it just means, well, we're never going to get anywhere. It just means we're all going to be holding the door for each other and nobody's going to walk through. But I don't think that's the picture of the church that Paul gives us and that Jesus calls us to. I think if we actually live this out, what we find is that we all get to say you first, which means we all get to hear you first. So maybe it actually looks like everyone having an opportunity to hold the door and everyone having the opportunity to find that the door is held open for us as we walk through. I think this kind of humble one-anothering actually leads to a chain reaction of selfless service. So that it means rather than nothing getting done, it actually means incredible things happen because we're all serving one another. Having the mindset of Jesus Christ in this area of humility will certainly lead us to countercultural, counterintuitive attitudes and actions, gracious acts, sacrificial acts on behalf of others. This kind of humility will shape us as individuals, as disciples. That are sh- it will shape our community as the body of Christ. It will transform us as those who are called and equipped to look to others, look at others in a new way, in a way marked by humility. 
And if our spirit-shaped body ends up looking like the life of Jesus, we know it's going to be beautiful. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, as we submit to you as our Lord and role model in all things, we ask that you would help us to learn from you the way of humility, that counterintuitive way of emptying ourselves so that others may benefit. Jesus, pull us back from the brink in those times when we long to seek positions of power and honor, to be elevated above others around us. Jesus, lead us in the way of servanthood. Help us to keep our eyes on you, to continue to learn from you as we watch how you do it. Our master and teacher who came to serve and even to die so that we might live. We pray in your holy name. Amen.